Good morning. I'm Iowimala, and I'm in Tennessee these days, at least for a few more days, kind of waiting to see my mom, staying at my brother's home, and uh, waiting to be able to see her. They're quarantined now where she is in assisted living, so I'm waiting and using my time the last couple of days just listening to Dhamma Talks, and practicing. I'm house-sitting at my brother's right now, so uh, my brother and sister-in-law went on their first little mini-vacation since I was going to be here. Uh, we visited for a few days, and they were going to take a trip, and I was going to be able to visit my mom all day long, and then we'd still have a little more time when they came back from their trip to just catch up with each other, and as it turned out, I have only seen my mom once, and that was um, that that was just serendipity. So uh, instead, I've turned it into a little retreat, which is good. And uh, I wanted to start something new to uh, read with you, and then we can practice. So. What I, what I have been intrigued with, and I've had this book and read this book many years ago, it's called A Pilgrim's Companion. And it's edited by Ken and Visaka Kawasaki, who are a lovely, wonderful couple who, who uh, live in Sri Lanka, and they're both writers and illustrators, and they have so many beautiful books. They've done beautiful illustrated versions of the Jataka Tales, and uh, and I think also the Dhammapada. I'll have to check that. <clears throat> they live in Sri Lanka, and they they know uh, Bhante Sujata's temple really well. And all of our monks have met them. And some of the people who have gone on um, travels with Bhante, I think, have either met them or uh, they know about them. And they wrote this book. When they were, they have gone on several pilgrimages to India, and for years they kept, they made notes and they um, talk, uh, found the suttas that were were appropriate for the places they've gone, and then their the result after many trips was this beautiful, uh, this beautiful pilgrim's companion, and there's a whole history about pilgrims' uh, travelogues and writing books like this. It's fascinating. So I have several from people, some from uh, a Sri Lankan friend and one from her, from Shorna, who wrote a beautiful book about a pil her pilgrimage experience and had the suttas in it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to, to look at. So I'm just going to read this morning a tiny bit from the first of the book, and then I'd like to start with day one a very short passage, and then there is, with along with that, there are reflections, and the reflections are taking right from the Dhammapada or another verse. Oh, it's good to see you, Maria. So this book, this book explains all of the sites that that they go to see, and then uh, has some devotions in it, and then the end. There, are, let's see, I think it's, yeah, day 33. I don't know if there are any more than that. They do 30, 
34. There are actually, looks like 35, 35 days of traveling. And uh, this is the brief, part of the brief, part of the introduction. Four places. This is going to talk about the four pilgrimage places. This is from the Dikha Nikaya 16, those are longer discourses. Ananda, there are four places. Oh, I'm sorry, let me make sure. Okay. Ananda, there are four places which, when visited, should arouse emotion in the faithful. What are they? First, where the Tathagata was born. Second, and you know the Tathagata is another expression used to, to identify the, the Buddha. Second, where the Tathagata attained supreme enlightenment. Third, where the Tathagata set in motion the wheel of the Dhamma. And fourth, where the Tathagata attained Padinibbana, and that's at death. Faithful monks, nuns, male lay followers, and female lay followers will visit those places. Anyone who dies while making a pilgrimage to these sacred places with a devout heart will, at the breakup of the body after death, be reborn in a heavenly realm. So that was the beginning of the, uh, that basically forms an outline of the pilgrimage. And so we have a 35-day trip, and they, they have arranged the, the uh, little reflections and readings based on where they would be in their trip, in their pilgrimage. This is what, and Ken and Visaka have, um, modified, they have edited some of the readings they wanted them to be. They're all very short, but also be very pleasant to the ear, and uh, they just made some minor additions to make them read more smoothly. So today is day one of our pilgrimage. The day one reading, Four Wonderful Things, Buddhas, the Buddha said, on the appearance of the Tathagata, the Arahat, the perfectly enlightened one, four wonderful and marvelous things appear. People, for the most part, delight and and rejoice in attachment. But when the Dhamma of non-attachment is taught by the Tathagata, they wish to listen to it, to lend an ear and try to understand it. This is the first wonderful and marvelous thing that appears on the manifestation of the Tathagata. People, for the most part, delight and rejoice in conceit. But when the Dhamma is taught by the Tathagata for the abolition of conceit, they wish to listen to it, lend an ear, and try to understand it. This is the second wonderful and marvelous thing that appears on the manifestation of the Tathagata. People, for the most part, delight and rejoice in restlessness, but when the Dhamma of peace is taught by the Tathagata, they wish to listen to it, 
lend an ear and try to understand it. This is the third wonderful and marvelous thing that appears on the manifestation of the Tathagata. People, for the most part, live in ignorance and are blinded and fettered by ignorance. But when the Dhamma is taught by the Tathagata for the abolition of ignorance, they wish to listen to it, lend an ear, and try to understand it. This is the fourth wonderful and marvelous thing that appears on the manifestation of a Tathagata. On the appearance of the Tathagata, the Arahat, the perfectly enlightened one, these four wonderful and marvelous things appear. So when the Buddha arises, when there's a Buddha in the world, rises in the world, that new Buddha comes when the teachings have been forgotten. And so these are the first four things that happen when they begin to hear these teachings. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya 4, 128. So just imagine you're sitting on a big stone, perhaps, or a bench near one of the sites from Lumbini, I think, is one of the first ones um, where the Buddha was born. And you're listening to someone either uh, teach the Dhamma or read some of the Dhamma or um, you might be reflecting with, this is from the Dhammapada. But just imagine yourself on a pilgrimage with your uh, group of people, maybe the, all the people watching. And uh, you're sharing this at the site of some of these historical events. So our first reflection, and then we'll just sit with this. The best refuge. And this is from the Dhammapada, 188 through 192. To sacred hills, woods, and groves, to sacred trees and shrines do people go gripped by fear. But those are not safe refuges. They are not the best refuge. Not by going there is one freed from all suffering, but whoever takes refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha will understand with wisdom the four noble truths. Suffering, its cause, its overcoming, and the noble eightfold path. Leading to its overcoming, this is a safe refuge. It is the best refuge have taken refuge here, one is freed from all suffering. So let's just sit and just allow your body to relax. Find a posture that really lets you feel as comfortable as you can sitting still. We all do get restless. You can allow your eyes to close or leave them kind of at half-mast or leave them open, but just let the let your gaze be down a little bit. You don't want to be roaming all over. 
And as you feel your body, you're aware of your body breathing and feeling your body relax. You can think about, well, let's say you can explore. Let's not think about it. Just explore what your refuges are. What do you turn to when there's suffering? Just let your let your mind, let your body too just explore that that area. What are your refuges? what brings you peace. Now, as you sit, I'm going to read the reflection again. And just sit. Just be aware of the words. Just let them wash over you. The best refuge to sacred hills, woods, and groves, to sacred trees and shrines do people go, gripped by fear. But those are not safe refuges. They are not the best refuge. Not by going there is one freed from all suffering. But whoever takes refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha will understand with wisdom the Four Noble Truths, suffering its causes, its overcoming, and the, <clears throat> and the noble eightfold path leading to its overcoming. This is a safe refuge. It is the best refuge. Having taken refuge here, one is freed from all suffering.
Be with each breath. We can even imagine seeing the wonderful sights of where the Buddha was born. And reflect on these words. These sights, the stones, the statues, the shrines, they are beautiful and inspiring and they can bring us back to our true refuge if we have the right attitude. But our refuge is not in the stones, not in the sites, not in the shrines. Our refuge will be the teachings of the Buddha and having our teacher the Tathagata, the Buddha, as a model that this is possible for a human being to do, to be free of fear, to be free of suffering. And by living the Eightfold Path, we can become completely free of greed, aversion, and delusion. So everything points back to ourselves, what we're willing to work with. Everything is internal for us. Just getting back to our true Buddha nature.
As you breathe in and out, I'm going to just remind you of the four wonderful things Most people delight and rejoice in attachment. But when the Dhamma of non-attachment is taught by the Tathagata, people want to listen to it. And they try to understand it. People delight and rejoice in conceit, in pride. But when the Dhamma is taught by the Tathagata, for the abolition of conceit. They wish to listen to it and try to understand it. People, for the most part, delight and rejoice in restlessness. But when the Dhamma of peace is taught by the Tathagata, they wish to listen to it and try to understand it. People, for the most part, live in ignorance and are blinded and fettered by ignorance and illusion. But when the Dhamma is taught by the Tathagata or the abolition of ignorance, they wish to listen to it, lend an ear, and try to understand it. Think about your own experience with the Dhamma. When you have the experience of seeing the true nature of reality, how does that feel? How does it work for you?
Let's end our time together with a, a short metta practice because we don't have a lot of time, but we can continue. You can continue and I can too for the rest of the day sending metta, whether you're in a meditation posture or you're washing dishes or cooking or sitting at work, we can, we can send metta. So metta is that kindness, that uh, friendliness that we can send. And we can send goodwill. So begin with yourself. And this is, a, this is not an easy time in the world. This is samsara showing us that some of its best work. Uh, it's hard to... It's hard to listen to the news, and I think you have to be very careful about that. But let's practice a few moments of uh, metta, and then you can. Then it'll be time for me to leave, and you can approach the rest of the day. Or as you're going to sleep, it's wonderful if you practice metta at night, because then as you go to sleep, the the metta practice is right there right there with you, right there continuing into your sleep. So begin sending these feelings of friendliness, kindness to yourself. Be very sincere. So many of us do things for others and we really don't do many good things for ourselves. We'll burn out that way. We'll become uh, sick or we'll become bitter. We have to take care of ourselves in the deepest way. So send yourself these feelings of love and friendliness and kindness. May I be well. May I feel safe. May I be content and have those moments of joy and happiness and be able to recognize them. May I be able to take care of myself And may I be at peace. Then we begin sending these same thoughts and blessings and prayers out to others. May my loved ones be well and feel safe. May they be content and have those moments of joy. May they be at peace.
And then we can begin sending out to strangers all of the people that we don't know. Which is most of the world, right? All strangers. May all strangers be well and be content. May they feel safe. May they be able to take care of themselves or be taken care of lovingly. And may they live in peace. And then because this is an infinite quality that we can send out, there's no stopping it once we've started. There are no boundaries, no one's, no being is left out. Just be aware of yourself radiating out the quality of metta. And this is when we think of goodwill, sending goodwill out over the world, out into the universe, sending out goodwill to all living beings, human and non-human, visible and invisible, beings being born and beings in the process of dying. May all beings, human and non-human, be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Be free from fear and worry and anxiety. Free from hunger and thirst and the extremes of our climate. Of the world's climates. And may all living beings, human and non-human, be able to care for themselves or be cared for lovingly. And may all beings be at peace within themselves and with their world. If you can, just stay with your metta practice. And if you have to get up and get on with your day or your evening, you can stay with it as well. 